Praise God. Well, we're in week two of our series, Kingdom. Kingdom. In fact, Jesus' main topic that he spoke about, the number one thing that Jesus spoke about was the kingdom of God. The number one, more than any other subject that Jesus spoke about, was the kingdom. In fact, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus speaks about the kingdom more than 50 times. More than 50 times. That's, that's like 1.5 times per page in the book of Matthew. That much, and, and kingdom was, was, was serious business. And if it's serious to Jesus, it's serious to us too. Amen? Amen. Fantastic. Well, if somebody comes to you and they say to you, I've got good news and I've got bad news. What would you like to hear first? How many here want to hear the good news first? How many here want to hear the bad news? Right, so man, give me the bad news so the good news can kind of soften their blow. You know what, to be honest, anything that has bad news attached to good news is never good. Never good. Anyway, regardless. And um, it's kind of like that old um, doctor-patient joke, right? The, the doctor says to the patient, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is that you've got 24 hours to live. And the patient's like, what? That's the good news? What's the bad news? I forgot to tell you yesterday. <laughs> Anything that has bad news attached to it is not good news. Not good news at all. In fact, how do you handle news that breaks your heart? You know, when the doctor tells you that you've only got a couple months to live, you know, and, and then the doctor says, look, I've got some good news. Good news is we can operate on you. Could save your life. The bad news is, is that you're, you're highly... Your, your chances of surviving that operation is almost nil. I mean, th- what kind of news is that? How do, we hear, how do we handle news like that? Well, you hear good news attached with bad news. If you're looking for a title of my message today for Kingdom, I was going to call it Good News, but, I, but I've decided to call it Beautiful Feet. Everybody say Beautiful Feet. Beautiful feet. Turn to the person next to you and say, wow, you've got beautiful feet. In fact, I want you to gaze at their feet and go, wow. And say with great affection, what beautiful feet you have. Try not to gaze at it too long because you might change your mind after a while. Uh, beautiful feet. And, uh, and when Jesus came and his whole, his whole message of all the years, the three years that he ministered here on earth, the three years that he ministered, it can be all summed up in this one verse in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And he said this, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced, and this is, this is the summary of his whole ministry, and he announced the kingdom of God is near, or it has arrived. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. What I love about this, Jesus doesn't attach bad news to good news. Doesn't attach it at all. In fact, if you're, if you're part of, of, of Jesus' uh, followers, then you have good news to share. Turn to the person next to you and say, You've got, I've got good news. I've got good news. You know, the church isn't a place where we come and just be comfortable, where we just sit around singing, um, um, singing our lovely songs. But God has called us to share good news because you have good news to share. You do. The church is alive. It's living. It's an ecclesia. That's the, that's the Greek word for the word church. Ecclesia. It's a living. You can cl- it's not a building. It's people. The church are people. With a mission that God has given you a royal task to pro- proclaim the message. The message must get through. Turn to the person next to you and say, the message must get through. The message must get through. Because let me tell you something. Sin, sin doesn't make people bad. Did you know that? Sin doesn't make people bad. Sin makes people dead. But good news, 
Good news makes dead people alive. Amen. Come on. That's good news. Good news makes dead people alive. Good news. We've got good news to share. So when Jesus turns up and he says, the kingdom of God is near, it's, it's arrived, it's here. And you're kind of, be, kind of scratching your head. He goes, well, if it's, a, if it's arrived, then what happened to it? Where did it go? If it's just arrived, wasn't the kingdom already here? It's just arrived? And so when we look at Genesis, we kind of see that because us as human beings, we distrust God. Like right there in the garden, when God said, do not eat of the tree of good and evil. And what does man do? Disobeys God, distrusts God. And by eating of the fruit, all of a sudden, it wasn't like all of a sudden they knew what was good and bad. What they were saying is like, you know what? We're going to decide for ourselves what's good and bad. Say, so God, you can tell us what's good and bad, but we'll decide it for ourselves. And they create for them an alternate kingdom. An alternate city, Babel. And we separate ourselves away from God, and the image of God is distorted. And therefore, the kingdom of God wasn't fully here. And we separate ourselves away from God. So what does God do? God chooses a family, the family of Abraham. And as we read the, the Genesis narrative, we find that this family finds itself enslaved in the kingdom of this world, embodied in Pharaoh and Egypt. And what does the kingdom of God look like when it comes here? It looks like this. God liberates his people, liberates his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. As they cross through the Red Sea, God confronts evil and he destroys evil. And, and, and as you read the narrative that as they cross through the Red Sea, the, the, uh, the Egyptians' army, they chase the people and then God closes up the sea. So God destroys the power, the powers of this world. And you know what's amazing? Then God invites his people to come and live under my rule for the kingdom of God is here. Live under my rule. Invites his people to come in. And it's so amazing. So much amazing. Abraham, um, Moses writes a song. In fact, in scripture, this is the very first time that God is declared as king. The first time in scripture that is declared that God is king. And because Moses writes this song, because this is the picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. God confronts evil, liberates his people, invites them to live under his reign. So they begin to write this song and sing this song in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses said to the Israelites, uh, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, right? Because this is what we do when, when, we, when we exalt a king, we highly lift him up. Both horse and drivers. He has hurled into the sea, speaking of the Egyptian army being swallowed by the Red Sea. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my what? My salvation. This is the first time in Scripture the word salvation appears. So it's connected with God. God is our salvation. This, this, this tells us what salvation means. Salvation alone is found in our Lord. This is the first time it appears. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Let's go down to verse 8. And this is the first time God is seen as king. The Lord reigns. Remember, reigning is a, is a royal task that a king does. The Lord reigns forever and ever. That God is my king, and he reigns forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that good? Sounds great. He invites to come. I'm your king. I've liberated you. I've set you free. Come here under my reign. And he invites Israel to come under their reign. And it sounds amazing. But it, something goes terribly wrong. And we find that Israel installed kings of their own. So you find that Israel rejects God as their king. We want kings of our own. We want to be like everybody else. They install kings as their own. And so God anticipates this. So he writes out guidelines 
of how the king of Israel is supposed to behave. And it's different to all the other nations because God was trying to, was trying to make them reign in, so much, in such a way that they're subordinate to his reign, that they reign over Israel and they bring God's will over Israel. But they get it terribly wrong. In fact, Israel becomes like Egypt and they rebel. Then as we read the narrative in Scripture, we find that Jerusalem is ultimately destroyed by the Babylonians and takes the people into captivity. Not just, not just Israel being, Jerusalem being destroyed, but God's temple is destroyed. You can imagine the people who were left, the remnant that were left behind. They started to imagine, has God abandoned us? Where has God gone? But the prophet Isaiah, he has a vision. And in his vision, he sees that, that the mess that Israel has found themselves in, it's a mess of their own making. And now, if we're honest with ourselves, the mess that we find ourselves in, when we stop blaming everybody else, when we stop blaming God for our mess, when we're honest with ourselves, we see that the mess that we're in of our, is of our own making. And he goes on to say that, that, that Israel has become corrupt. That's why the city is destroyed. That's why the, the temple has been destroyed. But Isaiah's vision doesn't just stop there. It carries on. So if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you open up with me to Isaiah chapter 52 or turn on your devices. And I, I love Isaiah's vision and what he sees. You know, the, the city's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. People have lost hope. And then Isaiah begins this, this vision and, and the city's destroyed, but the watchmen, they're still on the tower looking and they see this messenger running. This messenger running towards the city. Verse 7 says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings what? Good news. It's the best news they've heard all day. Our city's been destroyed. Where is our God? Where is our king? We've been defeated. What's the good news? The good news of peace and salvation. Here's the news. The news that the God of Israel reigns. Although what you see is destruction, Although you see our city destroyed, although you see the temple destroyed, although what you see in your life, everything is falling apart, the good news is this, that God still reigns. He still sits on the throne, that God lives, and that you are not alone. Isaiah's vision goes on in verse, verse 8, the watchmen shout and sing with joy. I love this. For before their very eyes, they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem, that God himself that God himself will return. That God is with us, Emmanuel. That God himself will come. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And this is God's plan. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. God confronts evil. God redeems his people. And he invites his people to live under his reign. The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Good news, the watchman said. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. Jesus takes this phrase from Isaiah, good news, and he begins to proclaim it right through the Gospels, right through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Good news. And that word in Greek means euangelion. You meaning news and galleon meaning announcement. So whenever, and, and sometimes when you read your, your Bibles, what you find is that this word you and galleon gets, gets translated to the word gospel. The word, and that's where we get the word gospels from. Gospels means good news. So when somebody says to you, do you believe 
Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the gospel message? What they're saying to you is, do you believe the good news? What kind of good news? It's not like any good news. It's not like, hey, I got good news. South Africa won the World Cup. Well, maybe that's not good news for some of you there. It's not like, hey, I got good news. I got a pay rise. It's not that kind of good news. Euangelion is always a royal declaration that a new king reigns. It's a declaration. Euangelion, a new king reigns. So when Jesus comes along and he says, the kingdom of God has arrived, repent and believe, euangelion, the good news, because a new king reigns, that God reigns now. He's making this royal declaration. So when he's saying this, the people of that time are saying, whoa, whoa, what's he saying? Is he saying he's king and he reigns? He's making this declaration. And so when, when Jesus begins to make this, this kind of declaration, you know, and, and he begins to, um, I love what happens because he starts describing what the kingdom of God looks like. And it surprises everybody around him of what this kingdom of God looks like. Because when you think of a kingdom, a kingdom has to be powerful. A kingdom has to be strong. Its army has to be strong, strong enough so it can defeat its enemies and, and impose its will. But when, God, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, Jesus says, flips it upside down. It's the upside down kingdom. He's like, you know, the, the strongest in the kingdom is the weakest. The strongest in the kingdom are those who love and serve the poor. Do you know what, do you know what this kingdom looks like? Do you know what it's like to, to, to be under the reign of God? The reign of God looks like, looks like loving your enemies. This is what it's like when God is your king, when Jesus is your king, when you live under the reign. It, it, means, it means defeating evil with love. It means, it means forgiving those who have offended you, forgiving those that have hurt you, to love those who hurt you. That's what the king, living in this, uh, in this kingdom looks like. So last month we, we had the series called Sour about letting go of the offenses. What we're really talking about, hey, this is how you live in the kingdom of God. And when I talked to people, they found it really hard. Well, you know, once they say sorry, then I forgive them. That's not living in the kingdom of God. You know, that, that, that's living in another kingdom. If you're still holding on to offenses, you know what, what Jesus is saying is that Jesus is, that God is not your king. Someone else is your king. But when you learn to let go of your offenses, you begin to allow God to reign in your life. And you live in the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's the upside down kingdom. It's loving your, your enemies. It's defeating evil with love. So Jesus begins and he, and he and begins his ministry. He's making this declaration. And people are going, whoa, whoa, is this the new king? Because he's talking like a king and he's sounding like a king. And, and he sets up 12 disciples, which is the image of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's healing people. He's forgiving people of their sins. The, 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 you got to understand Israel's leaders, they're like, that offends them. And they plan to have Jesus killed. And you know what's amazing? Jesus allows them, allows for him to, to give up his life, which is kind of strange. It's kind of weird. If you're trying to impose this new kingdom, if, you, if, if you're trying to bring, uh, declare that you're a king, then you wouldn't be having yourself killed. But Jesus knew there was no, no other way, that, that the human condition, that we find ourselves in rebellion. The reason why we, we, uh, we're like this is because the image of God has been distorted. So Jesus begins to defeat evil by giving up his life. So which is why the Gospels, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it depicts Jesus' crucifixion as his enthronement. Because when, when, when God begins to announce his kingdom, when, he, when God des decides to, to, uh, to bring about his enthronement, it is during Jesus' crucifixion, because during Jesus' crucifixion, he's called king of the Jews. During his crucifixion, he's given a crown. 
crown of thorns and he's given a robe. And that on the cross, his hands and his feet are pierced. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And this is a picture of God's enthronement. It's the upside down kingdom that God is highly lifted up on a cross. And he makes his announcement that God enters into his own creation and he binds himself with humanity. And then on the cross, he takes upon himself our shame and our regret, all the things that have separated us from God, and he finishes at the cross when he says, it is finished. So this is the good news, that Jesus still reigns, that he's alive, that three days later he rose from from the dead, that he defeats death with his love. And he forms his people. He forms a people and he calls it the church. You need to understand something. The church is not the kingdom of God. The church are a people that he has liberated us. He confronts evil. He liberates us and he invites the church to live under his reign. And he's given the church a royal task. Do you know what the royal task is? To go throughout all the world baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations, making a declaration and making an announcement, the good news that Jesus reigns, he still reigns, and has defeated death at the cross with his love. This is your royal task, to bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. You know, a recent survey was done of 8,000 people who came to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. You know what's really interesting? Of those, of those 8,000 people who got saved, 5% walked into a church and stayed, which means for what, whatever random reason, they decided we're going to turn up the church. They turned up and they found Jesus. 7% came because of the pastor. Wow, these, these Willie and Lois Dornan, pastors of Ngata Wahia, that's, they sound cool, I'm going to turn up. They went along and they got saved. came because the church had a program that they liked. Well, we've got this program for 50 plus and you get lunch and great message and this amazing woman called Paula that does this amazing worship and it's amazing. They go along and they stay. They love the program. 1% came because of door-to-door evangelism. 4% came because of the kids program. They've got a great kids program. You may be here because of the kids program. Well, you're part of that 4%. Listen to this, 0.0001% came through a crusade, street evangelism, or TV program. But hear this, 80% came because of an invitation from a friend or a relative. Come on, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Good news, you have a message. You have a message. And you know what, we want to help you to invite people. Because sometimes like, how do I invite my friends? How do I invite my friends to church, so we, we want to give you three cues, okay? When you hear these three cues, let that be a reminder to invite people to church, because we all want to invite people to church, but sometimes we just forget about it. We, you know, we, we get busy. But I'll tell you what, when you hear these three words, let there be a cue for you, oh, invite them to church. And cue number one is this. Cue number one is this. When you hear, I'm not from around here, when you hear that, I'm not from around, that's your cue. 
when you meet somebody, hey, how's it going? Hey, you look great. Oh, look, I'm not from around there. I've just moved to the neighborhood. That's your cue to invite them to church. Hey, would you come along to church? Meet people, because if you're new here, you don't know anybody. Come along to church, and you'll have friends straight away. That's the first cue. Second cue is this. When you hear that, when you hear things are not going well, things are not going well. Hey, you know what? You know, um, things are not going well in my marriage. Things are not going well for me at school. Things are not going well for me at work. So, hey, once you come along to church, we've got this amazing marriage course. Our senior pastors run it. Come along to it. We've got these amazing programs to get part of. You know, you're not meant to do life alone. Let that be a cue for you to invite them to church. And, and number three, the third cue was this. I'm not prepared for. You know, my wife left me. My husband left me. I wasn't prepared for that. When my mother passed, I wasn't prepared for that. I lost my job. I wasn't prepared for that. When you hear these three cues, I call them the three knots. I'm not from around here. Things are not going well. I'm not prepared for. When you hear that, let that be a cue to invite them to church. Why? Because how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news? You have a message. You have good news. A royal task to announce that Jesus still reigns even when it feels like our world is crumbling around you, that He still reigns. He still reigns. I remember watching this movie called Gallipoli. It's a movie made in the 80s. I was only 12 years old when I first saw this movie about 20 years ago. Or 30 years ago. It doesn't really matter. Maybe 30. 30 odd. And this movie, is obviously, it's about Gallipoli, it's about the Anzacs and the battle, and it's starring Mel Gibson, okay, starring Mel Gibson. So the movie, in the beginning of the movie, it's got this, it's on the, in the Australian outback, and there's this lone young farmer, young farmer, and he's stretching, he's leaning against his barn, and he's stretching his, his legs because he's about to race, he's, he's trying to race to this point, and there's another guy in, a, in another farm, and they're racing to this point at a certain time. But this guy's on horseback, and he's gonna run, and he's stretching, he's going, my legs, my legs are like spring. I'm as swift as a leopard. My legs are like spring. I'm as swift as a leopard. And boom, he pounces and he's gone. Let's fast forward to the end of the movie. Battle is raging in Gallipoli, Anzacs. The Australian and the New Zealand, New Zealand Army Corps have been sent, ill-prepared, ill-planned, losing, to give up their lives for, for a war that they didn't even start. And they're in the trenches. The commanders, British officers, are, in, are on the beach, away from the front line, and they send orders to the officers. Start advancing. Start charging the enemy's line. So the officers, they get these orders, and they line up the first lot of Anzacs, and they're, they're in the trenches. They blow the whistles, and they jump out of the trenches, and they start charging the enemy's line, but they have no idea that the enemies are heavily armed, and they just chop them down, shoot them down dead in an instant but because of the orders was keep advancing they call the next line the next line of men are in the trenches they blow their whistles and they go to their deaths Mel Gibson seeing what's happening thinking this is crazy we've been sent to our death he goes to the officers we've got to change the orders so the officers they, 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 they ring back to the commanders but what had happened is that the, the, the phone lines have been destroyed it's been severed so Mel Gibson runs in desperation to get back and he tells the officers hold off as long as possible the officers we we only can hold off as long as we can but we've got orders we've got to send them so he's running back he gets back to the beach he 
He tells them, come on, we've got to change the orders. You're sending our men to death. They're heavily armed. The commanders decide to change the orders, but they can't, they can't radio back because the lines have been destroyed. So they write the, they write the message on a, on a note and they give it to Mount Gibson. It's in his hands. In his hands is a message, a message that will save their lives. So Mount Gibson, in, in desperation, runs as fast as he can to get back because the message, the message to save their lives are in his hands. The message must get through. And then we go back to the trench and the officers call the next line of young men. And one of these men's, one of these young men are leaning against the wall. He's stretching and he's saying this, my legs, my legs are like spring. I'm as swift as a leopard. My legs are like spring. I'm swift as a leopard. Mal Gibson, he's running, he's running. He, as he arrives, the officers blow the whistle. And this young man who had been stretching, he pounces out and his legs are indeed like springs. He is indeed swift as a leopard. But as he makes his way across, he is gunned down and killed. Mal Gibson falls down to his knees in anguish because he knew that if he was there seconds earlier, they would still be alive. Why? Because he had the message of salvation in his hands. But the message didn't get through. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. The message, the message must get through. We need to understand something. Sin doesn't make people bad. Sin makes people dead. But the good news makes dead people alive. You have good news. You have the message in your hands. You are on Galeon. The good news, a royal task to make a royal announcement that God still reigns. His name is Jesus and He's still King. That every knee that bows and confess that Jesus is Lord, will be saved. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news.